G'day everyone and welcome to another bloody movie podcast. I am Sean Coates. Thank you very much for listening and apologies if we sound a little bit tired. This is a little bit later than what we would have been because my guest and I were having a bit of a chat, a pre-chat before we started recording, but then we talked for about an hour and 15 minutes before we actually did hit record. So we're joining you now. We're a little bit drained. We probably should have been recording beforehand, but we're talking about some new releases here. We're going to be talking about Emma. We're going to be talking about Those Who Wish Me Dead and Spiral from the Book of Saw, which were all went to talk- all came out last week. We were initially planned to talk about them last week, but my guest and I have been talking for that long, seriously. <laughs> But no, no, we're just joking, obviously. Uh, we were meant to record the, the, this pod at around this time last week, but, you know, life just got in the way. But here we are now, joined once again by his previous guest of the show, fellow writer, fellow writer, I can barely speak, fellow writer over at Movie Babble. It is, of course, the one, the only, Blake Ison. Hello, how are you? Doing well, doing well. A bit annoyed that because there was some prime prime conversation going on in just there the, was the hour of nonsense that we spouted just before we hit record so i yep. wish the listeners could have heard that but <laughs> you know what well it pays to be on the show i guess yeah that's it so as we as we as we said we've got four four films to talk about three new releases and one that is coming out i believe at the beginning or next week Next week. So those films again are Emma, the new Pablo Lorraine film. We've also got Those Who Wish Me Dead, the new film from Taylor Sheridan. We have Spiral from The Book of Saw, which, as you might ex- take from the title, is the new Saw film. And coming out uh, next week, which I'm going to be reviewing, is My Name is Galpalil, a film about, a documentary rather, about the life of legendary Australian screen actor and dancer and, you know, Indigenous advocate David Galpalil. But first... We're going to talk about Emma. Now, Blake is the perfect person to talk about this because Emma, well, not Emma. So Pablo Lorraine, the director of Emma, the Chilean filmmaker, Oscar-nominated Chilean director, is, Blake is a big fan, let's just say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've only seen, with with Emma, I've now seen two of his films. Um, the, the other film being Jackie, but they are both five-star efforts for me. Um, I don't know what it is about. He's he's got a very distinct style, I think. And um, yeah, like both, like we said before, we started recording. Uh, um, he's got a knack for character, and that's something I really love in in my films. So, um, yeah, I really loved this movie. Um, it's currently sitting at my number three of the year so far. So. Uh, yeah, it's getting high praises from me, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's taking uh, it's taking quite a while to actually come out here in Australia. So this is getting released, has been released through Palace uh, Palace Films here in Australia. Most other territories, uh, it first made its uh, international, like, you know, world premiere, I believe, at Venice back in 2019. So it's taken quite a while, along with another film, uh, First Cow, which also made its, uh, you know, world premiere at that festival as well. Uh, maybe in Toronto, I'm not sure, but that only just recently got its theatrical release in Australia as well. And I don't know where I was going with this, but yeah, in most other territories, um, and it works with First Cow well as as well because both films, uh, their main distributor and sales agent is Movie, and so yeah. in most other territories, people have seen this in <laughs> already seen this on Movie for you know upwards of for longer than a year now. And now here in Australia, we finally get it. But we get to see it on the big screen. 
And I think that that is a huge plus, especially for this film. But just before we get stuck into the film, um, I'm I'm also someone that's like out of Pablo Lorraine's films. I've seen three of them. So I've seen the two that Blake has mentioned, obviously, Emma and Jackie. But I've also seen, I believe, one of his first films, which is Tony Monero, which I think was from like 2008 or 2009, which, as the title may suggest, is about a character that is really, really obsessed with Saturday Night Fever. And like, basically, this guy pretty much has an obsession and he just wants to be John Travolta's character from Saturday Night Fever. And it's just a really, really... And what I think, uh, to expand on what you were saying, what he's able to do is have, like, character be the central focus, but, like, through this character, be able to, like, explore its themes, like, in such detail and in such sort of interesting and ways that just really catch you off guard. Like, Tony Monero, it's, like, almost kind of, from what I remember of it anyway, it's been, I watched it during lockdown last year, so, like, all the movies I watched kind of melded together into one. <laughs> but what I remember, like, it, it's basically, like, it always turns into, like, sort of like a taxi driver or, like, a king of comedy sort of edge to it, where it's, like, it just goes more and more into this obsession about, like, this guy's own insecurities about himself. And, like, also, like, with Jackie, which, you know, when I, which I said, like, talking about the, the father and how that film completely subverted expectations, like, I expected Jackie to just be sort of like this soulless like really really straightforward and bland sort of biopic with a good mm. performance in in its uh, like you know driving it all home but like no Jackie is like a really really kind of devastating not only a character study but a look into not only like grief and like legacy and like all these other really fascinating things going on but to talk about Emma so this film how would you describe it? So the titular character here, Emma, is uh, she's part of a dance troupe in a town called Chile, in a town, a town called Chile, in a town in Chile. Um, I'm not quite sure. I can't remember which one it is. I know it's not Santiago. Um, so apologies. I could look this up, but I cannot remember. And yeah, so she's a dancer. Uh, she's married or with uh, their dance instructor, who's played by Gael Garcia Bernal. And uh, they've adopted a son. Uh, the son has been a bit of a troublemaker though. And they, you know, after having him for about a year or like 14 months, I can't remember the exact time frame, they give him back up after an incident that involves lighting someone on fire. And yeah, yeah, it's based, a lot happens in between that. And I wish I could remember because I, this was the one screening where I forgot my notebook to actually <laughs> write things down. But Blake, what did you think of Emma? Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it um, it's definitely a focus on on character, um, and I just found it to be just really quite fascinating. Um, sort of similar to to Jackie, the first time I saw it, it took me a little bit of time to kind of get on the film's wavelength, because um, yeah, Lorraine has just this interesting start like you can tell when you're watching one of his movies i think i say as i've only seen two of them but um they they yeah he has this kind of style and i thought it was um a really interesting look at um i don't want to say obsession but because the the kind of storyline is that emma once um having her adopted son taken off them kind of goes on this sort of bit of a self-discovery journey if you will um all the while trying to kind of get her son back um 
and the yeah the the kind of journey she goes on as as a character and and the the lengths that she goes to um to try and get what she wants is quite crazy but yeah it's a brilliantly directed film um it looks great the visuals are amazing yeah um and and the audio as well the so i guess we should mention that the the film has quite a heavy emphasis on on dancing um have the yeah um main characters being dancers so there's lots of sort of dance scenes and and um music and and but it all services the story as well yeah. which i think is yeah it's quite fascinating quite a fascinating movie yeah i think i'm gonna try my best to try to you know emphasize this as best as i can and like try to come out as clear as i possibly can in <laughs> talking about it in this way but i think mostly what this film is about i think is freedom and yeah. i think you know the dance is probably like the perfect way that you could express that and like yeah, there's a definitely. lot of and especially like you know there's a lot of definitely sort of freedom in this you know like freedom to be you know like sexual freedom is a big yeah. sort of thing in this as well um i don't know where else i was going with this uh <coughs> apologize um yeah and as you were saying about the dance like sort of progressing the story forward like i think dancer here is used a lot more sparingly than the trailers would suggest but like when it is used not only is it like you know really really captivating and like incredibly well choreographed and filmed Mm -hmm. but yeah as you said it like sort of you can tell it's an expression of the, the character's sort of mental state and like you know basically their wants and desires which is like you know what good dance is is yeah definitely um and to kind of bounce off that that um comment about freedom um it also comes down to sort of freedom in in the laws and things like that um because yeah some of the things they do um, yes yes we should also note that uh emma is not despite like you know all like despite that she's a really compelling character and that she's one that you kind of want to succeed lorraine does push that a little bit too much because emma is not a likable character at all she does some very morally questionable things especially towards the end which may Mm -hmm. or may not involve kidnapping and um yeah (laughs) it gets it gets pretty full-on yeah um it it could be this could be like this film honestly could be put in the pantheon of big gay do crime like there's that that certain subgenre of film that put that is put in that we should also mention as well the actress, um, I believe it's Mariana de Girolamo, who plays Emma, yeah. who is just excellent. Yeah, she's great. Um, and I think the the whole cast is pretty good. Um, like I, I didn't, I couldn't pick a single bad sort of um, performance or anything that took me out of the film. It was one of those where it sort of took me maybe five minutes to get into it. But once I was, I was, I was right into it all the way through it's just a fascinating film yeah i wish uh, this would have been why it would have been good to do this earlier we would have been a a lot fresher (laughs) about this but it's a yeah definitely big screen experience helps this a lot for you know what what they can do like how you know especially when they're just like burning things down and like you know there's all this 
like lurid imagery of like you know destruction and like you know all of these sorts of slow motion and like you know really in tight like camera shots of like you know these dancers gyrating you know this yeah. sort of things like it's a very sort of visceral film in a lot of ways it and is. like seeing it, it on is. the big screen is quite you know quite the experience and i think it's probably you know as lorraine would probably say is probably the optimum sort of way that you can see this film and now i'm really you know as we've said he has a fascination with character and it really uses that to explore themes of like you know that are very personal in a lot of ways but also a, a lot great like you know trying to go for things that are a lot yeah. grander uh, this is why i'm really really fascinated to see what he does with his princess die movie and he's got kristen stewart playing princess die which i can't wait for <laughs> i think that's going to be amazing Anyway, yeah, so that's Emma. Um, if it's exclusively to Palace Cinemas at the moment, uh, it came out last week. Uh, in I yep. think a few other states, but I think in the rest of the rest of the country, it comes out tomorrow. We are recording this on the nineteenth of May. It will be out tomorrow on the twentieth. If you are in any other state and it's not out yet, it will be out tomorrow. Go see it. Go see it. Uh, and another film that you know decide if you want to see this or not after my <laughs> opinion on this film. So this is Those Who Wish Me Dead. So, look, Taylor Sheridan had an interesting, you know, start to his, like, sort of screenwriting life. You know, I mean, before that, he was, like, you know, a, t a pretty solid TV actor that had been, you know, around around the bend, doing so much. Like, you know, he was on Veronica Mars. He was on, like, Sons of Anarchy. Like, he was everywhere, like, on TV for, like, you know, the mid-2000s to the late 2000s. Then he wrote Sicario, and, you know, that film's excellent. Yep. And yeah, then, you know, he had his own trilogy. He got then got an Oscar nomination for his screenplay to Hell or High Water, another yep. great movie. Then yep. then he wrote and directed Wind River, which is a good, good movie. I would say great. There's some there's some <laughs> there's some problems with it, but it's still a good movie. It's a film that I really loved when I first saw it, but it was like definitely weakened on repeat viewings. Then he wrote Sicario 2. And then, you know, <laughs> things that is, you know, it's like, okay, that's a bad one. It was probably studio mandated, you know, let's, let, let's give him a pass on that. And I haven't watched Yellowstone because I just don't really watch television. But then, you um, know, he wrote Without Remorse, you know, co-wrote Without Remorse. So, yep. you know, make of that what you will. I still have not seen that one, but it Neither just looks I. very dull. Um, so you know, also teamed back up again with Stefano Salima, who directed uh, Sicario 2. And then now he has Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is adapted from the novel by Michael Carita, who, from what it looks like, co-wrote the original, co-wrote the script with Charles Levitt, but then Taylor Sheridan came in and did a bit of a rewrite. So this film is really, really sort of hard to describe. I mean, the plot should be, I mean, it shouldn't be, because the plot in of itself is quite simple. So basically, there's... A kid, a little, there's a, there's a young boy who's basically on the run. He witnesses a murder. Okay, so, yeah, so he witnesses his father getting murdered because he's uncovered, he's like a forensic accountant. He's uncovered some sort of vague sort of political conspiracy. You know, it involves finance and politics and it goes all the way to the top. It doesn't really matter because it's never revealed, but I'll get to that in a sec. So he's basically on the run from these two these two hitmen. Uh, the the young kid is played by Finn Little, an Australian actor who you might recognise, who was in the Storm Boy remake. Um, and then you've oh, also yeah. got the two hitmen that are after him, which is played by Nicholas Holt and Aidan Gillen, two men who are way too charismatic for this role, and uh, <laughs> it's and also uh, way too uh, from the United Kingdom for this role and Ireland. <laughs> 
for this role. Um, but more on that in a sec. So they're basically the kids basically wandering through, you know, the Montana wilderness. And then he comes across uh, Angelina Jolie's character, who is a borderline suicidal uh, fire, like fire tower watcher. And like, she's part of the Montana smoke jumpers. You know, she's a firefighter. She's kind of taken up this position because she's still sort of, she's still traumatized by an event where, you know, she misread the wind and like, you know, she's got, you know, a few people died from a mistake that she made and she's Mm -hmm. traumatized by that. Like, and you can see that she's really become a bit of a loose cannon, you know, like drinking all the time early on in the film. She's like, you know, she's on the back of a speeding ute and then pulls a parachute out of it just to feel something, you know? (laughs) So yeah, she's in this watchtower. She comes across this, this young boy who's on the run and then so it's basically it's a survive the night basically sort of thing so these hitmen to try to smoke them out they light a fire in the middle of this forest to try and smoke them out so they basically have to survive not only the elements not only the hitmen and um, you know the nature in general it does uh, that's a very very terrible description and then <laughs> there's also john bernthal who's the sheriff wandering around as well that's like kind of part of the movie too and right. as you can tell, even even though my description was very scattershot and all over the place, you can tell that you can already tell the problem with this movie. There is just too much going on for what is a really, what really should be a really really simple film. So it sounds like a nineties, like well, one of those nineties. It's definitely what they were going for. It's <laughs> okay. definitely what they were going for, and especially I think even with the cast of casting of like Angelina Jolie in yeah. the lead role, like it, it definitely feels like a film that should have come out in like you know like late nineties or early two thousands because you know mm. like you know Angelina Jolie like isn't really in movies that much anymore. She's more making and direct you know writing and directing stuff these days. So yeah. and it is good to see her in a film like this. And I did find that she was actually believable as this character. Like I've seen a couple of criticisms where she's like you know it's Angelina Jolie playing a firefighter. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> she is believable in the fact I believe her as this character. I do not believe that that she could survive what she goes through in this <laughs> film. I think you need about four or five Angelina Jolies from what she goes through in this film. But yeah, so as I was saying, the problem with this film is that there is just way too much happening. Supposedly in the book, with that big description I gave you earlier, supposedly in the book, the kid, whose name is Connor, basically in the book, he is just a witness to a random murder. And then he, right. and then like the the killers are just after him because he's a loose end. Yeah, that's literally that's literally it. And then you know he's taken to the survival school that John Bernthal and his wife run. That their characters run in the book, but they also run in this film. Except they try, and then that somehow Angelina Jolie's character gets involved because she's in the Watchtower and something sort of thing. So it's a lot more streamlined and stripped back in the book. Yeah, right. From what from what I from what I've read about the book. Here, they try to make it even more with not only the vague, <laughs> bloody political secret and then also having Tyler Perry in in one scene that is completely useless where he talks to Aiden Gillen. Isn't and is he basically, in the trailer? He is in the trailer. That's literally the only scene he has in the film. Wow. And it would, it would, it would be okay if that amounted to anything, but it doesn't. So the fact that they, they, they try to build it up so much more by like having this, yeah, this vague sort of government or corporate conspiracy that goes all the way to the top and like, you know, trying to like, you know, to try to make the film have some sort of commentary about anything. 
other than just you know like survival and like redemption which you know it would have worked a lot better if it was just that but the fact that it spends so much time like building this up and then like eventually like never revealing itself is really really strange and it's also also is the fact that they made the connor's father the person that's murdered to try to make it more personal yeah just makes it you know it, it seems a bit desperate to try to make people care a bit more and to try to make the stakes a little bit bigger than what they really should be and also for no reason whatsoever they also try to do it as well so a, a fact that the two facts that well no one fact that the movie doesn't tell you is that um so gillen and holt's character the hitmen the two hitmen they're yeah. supposedly father and son the movie will never tell you that but they're father <laughs> and son right and, not believable <laughs> like it's just never it's just i don't know if it's the laziness of the script or if it's just something that got lost in the rewrite i'm not quite sure and then also john bernthal is apparently um is apparently connor's uncle in the film so this sheriff character is the uncle and he's taken to this thing because like he's going to get protected but then like gets lost along the way or something like something to that effect i can't even fucking know like this garbage <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I'm being so mean to it. I'm, I'm sorry, but like, it's actually not as bad as I'm saying it is. But it's just like, the yeah, the fact that they try to make like all these familial connections just to try and like make it like make you care more. It's just it's really transparent, and especially yeah. there's also one moment in the film where it's like you know it's clearly established that John Bernthal is like this boy's uncle, and then you know Angelina Jolie says like oh because the the father basically gives him the the this massive corporate conspiracy just writes it on a <laughs> tiny slip of paper and gives it to the kid and and angelina jolie reads it and it's like we have to take this to the police and then he's like no you can't trust the police he's like dude isn't your uncle the sheriff yeah like did you literally just forget that <laughs> i mean there's a lot of wow. lazy things like that in there and the film uh, like i've seen a featurette and taylor sheridan like made a huge point of like the fact that him and his production team, like, you know, it's like he kept on getting asked like, Oh, well, how are you going to do all like the big forest fire effects? Like, are you all going to do it with CGI? It's like, no, I'm going to build a 300 acre forest in the middle of the New Mexico desert just so I can burn it down, which he did, which he did. And that's really impressive. Unfortunately, it's in the final product is overlaid with so much CGI that you can't even tell. So it's completely pointless. (laughs) yeah and it's also just one of those films where it's like look i'm honestly glad that they didn't give the kid asthma because that just would have been like a convenient plot device and i'm honestly surprised the film didn't do that but like it's a film where like most of the time the characters are being blanketed in like thick heavy smoke or around big big fire and not one person coughs the entire yeah, film right. from smoke <laughs> inhalation not one yeah there's so much it's just such a missed opportunity this film just such which is disappointing because huge missed opportunity like like we mentioned with sheridan's first earlier three works with sicario hella high water and wind river um it's yeah it's a bit uh disappointing to hear Mm. hear that is it at least like is it at least a fun two hours or however long it is i don't know how it, well, long it the is good, uh, the pacing's a bit all over the place just because the film is just jumping all the way like it, it's it's just absolutely cut to ribbons because it's just jumping all over the place between all these different characters that like you probably could have cut out like a fair chunk of them 
Yeah. Or like, you know, reduce the screen time of them a little bit. Like you definitely didn't need to see that much of uh Gillen and Holt's character. Like it's just <laughs> like they're killers. They want to kill this kid because, you know, he saw something. Okay, that's fine. Like yeah. that's all I need to know. Like it I, I get it. They're they're cunning. They're they're very mischievous in a lot of ways. But like it's weird with their performance as well because they're meant to be like sort of these cold-hearted sort of like very relentless and ruthless sort of killers but they're also very theatrical with it there's a lot of them like pretending to be police officers and like you know like gas you know like gas yeah okay gas people and things like that to check on it and it's like it's like their characters sort of relish in that but it's like but this just doesn't fit the movie that we're making here (laughs) I will say, though, one positive in terms of the good aspects of this film. Uh, the actress Medina Sengor, who, if people saw the TV show Happy, uh, plays um, Christopher Maloney's ex-wife in that show. She is literally the best part of this film. So she plays John Bernthal's uh, wife, who is also the, the who runs this survival school out in the Montana wilderness. And she's also pregnant in the in the film as well. Her moments in this film are definitely, especially the moments she has with Aidan Gillen's character, are just like you know scene stealers there's actually a legitimate amount of tension in there uh, one of the first real senses of actual danger the film yep. really has even though you know the film is basically meant to be like you know fraught with danger yeah. but it isn't really and yeah she is you know so many like s- this absolute scene stealing performance from Medina Sengor yeah she's great in this film in in an otherwise sort of a film that is frustratingly not great almost kind of kind of bad yeah it just sounds like it's quite a quite a mediocre if that's the word from from what you're saying yeah there's so there's so much potential in here that's just wasted especially when it's like you know like it's sort of like i think a lot of the marketing is sort of built around it's like oh angelina jolie's back in a film again you've got to come out and see this and it's just yeah, like, it would have been good if it was just that. Like, you know, it's the, there's her, like, sort of arc of redemption and survival is what the film is clearly most interested in. It's just that they don't focus on it. And, like, the relationship the relationship she does have with uh, Finn Little's character is a bit off and on. There is some nice moments in there. There is some, you know, some actual, some levity that actually surprisingly worked in there. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, Jolie's character, there's, like, she, like... She literally, she does get struck by lightning technically twice in the film. And like, there's, there's so many situations that like, she doesn't even, it's not the fact that she doesn't survive them that like, I don't necessarily have a problem with. It's just the fact that she doesn't really seem affected by it. Like at yeah. all. <laughs> wow. Interesting. But yeah, so that's uh, those who wish me dead as, as guess see it at your own peril, I guess. <laughs> Those who wish to see this film will uh, go see it. Uh, maybe probably already have seen it anyway. But yeah, <laughs> it, but if you're in the US and you've got HBO Max, sure, watch it. You know, what do you got to lose? If you got mm. the subscription, why not? It's a bit different here if you're going to go out in the cinema and see it. Yep. And yeah, I don't think I'll be rushing out to see it anytime yeah. soon. Or be you know like a lot of these Universal, a lot of these Warner Brothers titles because of the HBO Max deal, a lot of them are getting early VOD releases now, where it costs like thirty dollars to rent them. Yeah, which uh, yeah. I, it definitely wouldn't be doing that for this film. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. All right, but the next film we have to talk about is, of course, Spiral, with the from from the Book of Saw, of course. Excuse me. Now, how full could dis- you forget? How could I forget? Now, excuse me. Now, full full disclosure, I have never seen 
I have never seen Saw. I watched Saw for the first time the night before I went to see Spiral um, because I figured I should probably have some sort of idea of what this world is um, going into this. And just as a tangent, the first Saw is pretty good. Yeah, and it was, it was a lot more like the obviously the the whole stigma around Saw is that it's this gore fest and it's torture porn and mm. all that stuff, but the first Saw film is very much a like a psychological off. thriller. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much, pretty much a seven ripoff. Um, but yeah, like like what what um, James Wan and Lee Wan L do with that movie that first Saw movie, I haven't seen any of the others, except for Spiral, obviously. But um, it was it was quite impressive, actually, and surprised me quite a bit. It, I believe it's one, it may not be anymore, but I believe it is one of, at the time, or even for a very long time afterwards, it was one of the most financially successful films yeah, ever. Pretty I, think, much. I think Paranormal Activity might have actually beat it, because of their ridiculous, like, incredibly ridiculous marketing campaign that somehow worked. Yeah, with like you know, because that film was made for like what twenty thousand dollars, and it made like something yeah, like something nearly like nearly two hundred million worldwide. So I think that's going to be like the most profitable film ever ever made. But yeah, yeah like, Saw, Saw made like one hundred and three million off a one point two million dollar budget. Like mm. they literally all all they literally had was a bathroom, a saw, and Danny Glover for a weekend. That's pretty much it's quite all they amazing. Had. There's um there's actually a car chase scene in the first Saw movie, and all it is is. Danny Glover sitting in a car with a black background while the camera zooms in really quickly. And it's kind of funny, but I have to kind of, uh, you got to kind of admire what they did to stretch that budget for that movie. Yeah. But so my, from my understanding, as I said, I haven't seen a Saw film is that my understanding of this franchise is that it basically, you know, was never meant to be a franchise. Like it was this very self-contained, I mean, open-ended because I'm, even though I haven't seen the, the film i am very aware like the ending is like iconic now like that yeah. twist is you know incredibly famous yep um so yeah and because it was so financially successful and it had an open-ended ending that you know sequel and then there was just sequel after sequel after sequel that led that really led more into the sort of ghastly sort of you know like body not not the necessarily traps body horror, like traps like it was all yep. about the traps it yeah. became it, it was it, it lent more towards like final destination but like way more hopeless yeah. I guess, and way more like, you know, a, a, a fascination and almost fetishization for like wanton destruction in these yeah. films. And eventually, from what I understand, they eventually just kind of become complete parodies of themselves towards the end of the franchise. Sounds about right. Yeah. So the, so then Saw 3D, ha- so Saw 3D or Saw 7, the final chapter, whatever you call it, yeah. that was in 2010. Uh, I believe in 2017, there was Jigsaw, which was like mm-hmm. a sort of semi sort of quasi reboot that happened, uh, directed by the Spirit Brothers, actually. Um you know, predestination yeah. guys who every time I see if they make a new project, they're like the happy Gilmore of filmmaking because yeah. they're, they're like convinced that they're horror directors, but like every kind of horror movie they've made has been bad. Yeah. It's like <laughs> that you've made one incredible science fiction film. Like go back to doing that. It's Do like, that. no, we're horror filmmakers. Yeah. It's like happy Gilmore. Like I'm not a, I'm not a golfer. I'm a hockey player. It's like, no, but you're good at hockey. You're that hockey in this. In- oh, no, it's not, not hockey. Sorry. But golf in this instance is sci-fi, but you're still convinced that you're doing horror stuff yeah uh, and spirit brothers if you're listening please take this as a joke because i love you and but please make another sci-fi film please do 
But yeah, so then now we have Spiral, um, which, you know, uh, directed by, I believe also co-written uh, by Darren, co-written and directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, who did Saws 2 through 4. And as, uh, but but as um, previous guest and friend of the show, George Kapaklis pointed out, yeah, but also Repo, the generic opera or the genetic <laughs> opera. Um, and also uh, uh, there was a, I believe Chris Rock also did a pass on this script and like, you know, polished up a lot of things, which you yeah. can tell. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I remember reading sort of before, before this came out that, um, that Chris Rock's a big fan of the Saw franchise. Um, and you can, you can tell that he's leaning into the more ridiculousness with yeah. this film. Um, and he, he executive produced the film as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I believe Samuel L. Jackson might have as well, I think. I might be completely wrong on that. Yeah, I'm not too sure on that. We have the internet. We could check it, but we don't. Let me open we're it la- up. We're lazy and it's 9.20 at night and I want to go to bed. <laughs> um, no, I don't see Samuel L. Jackson's name there. But yeah, anyway, on a tangent. Um you hated this Spiral, film. I hated this it. film. <laughs> <laughs> I really hated this film. Um, okay, I can I can agree with something that you're probably going to say that, yes, I did laugh a couple of times at the, how stupid <laughs> it was. But for the majority of it, I was just head in hand, like comfortable in my recliner. Yeah, and and that wasn't from that wasn't covering your hands from the go- the covering your eyes no, from the gore. That was that me was falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I did not like this movie really. Um, I thought that the opening scene was quite good. And like from the opening scene, I was like, okay, this, this could actually be good. And then the opening scene finishes and we get this monologue from Chris Rock about Forrest Gump. Oh yeah. I was just, as soon as that happened, I was, I clocked out. <laughs> yeah, that that was where I guess, what, what I originally thought was ad-libbing, but then I found out, you know, Chris Rock did a pass on the script. So I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. He mm-hmm. went, on, went on a tangent about Forrest Gump here. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, the basic premise of this one is that there's a jigsaw copycat thrill, thriller, mm-hmm. a killer, a copycat killer that's going out and doing sort all sorts of things. Chris Rock is a cops. detective. A detec- yeah, specifically targeting cops in this one. Um, yep. yeah, uh, yeah, he's a cop. Uh, I can't remember what the name is. His name is, um, Zeke. Zeke. I think he is. Zeke can't remember Banks. What his last name. He's got a new, like, he's, he's just been assigned with a new rookie detective played by, uh, Max Minghella. And, uh, they're basically investigating the, uh, they're basically investigating this new copycat jigsaw killer. And then, uh, his father, uh, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson is also involved. And, yeah. Yeah, having not seen a Saw film, um, look, I'll just say first off, this movie is bad. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's quite bad, but entertainingly bad. Um, here's the thing, like, you're talking about the sort of self-awareness and, like, Chris Rock sort of taking, or Chris Rock and the creators sort of going into the more comedic side of things here. Look, I kind of agree with you, but in, in, in another sense, they're also taking this material way too way seriously. Way too seriously, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I find that it's most of the time unintentionally funny. Um, like, there's so many scenes of Chris Rock just yelling and trying to be serious, and oh I'm just laughing because all I'm seeing so is Chris Rock funny. on yeah, stage. Look, I like Chris Rock as a comedic actor. 
I think yeah. he actually is not too bad at like drama, but like in Fargo, some cases, he's quite good in Fargo. Yeah, in Fargo, from what I've seen of Fargo, the series, he's good. Yeah. Here, though, not this kind of drama. It, it's like no. too. It's like too like cliche. And like I thought he would be good at something like that because you know he could like sort of play into that. But he's kind of taking himself seriously. And yeah, there's a moment after like one of his cop colleagues is murdered in a in in a saw trap. Like he's just like sitting in his car and screaming, and oh, it's one of the funniest things that I've seen in a film this year. Next to the flashbacks in this film, but yeah, that's what I was just going to mention. How they make Chris Rock look in the flashbacks, like de aging technology. Yeah, (laughs) screw de aging technology. Let's put Chris Rock in a baggy hoodie hoodie and a flat cap and a flat cap (laughs) turned backwards, and let's give him. A really horrendous, a really horrendous facial hair. Yeah. Oh no. It's, but what about it's Samuel L. Jackson stupid. as well? Now nah, we'll give him a mustache. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine, that'll do. Imagine Samuel L. Jackson going from Captain Marvel, where it has some of like some of the most impressive de aging like technology we've seen in a film to date, yeah. and then just doing saw spiral, <laughs> where it's like, hey, grow a mustache, or we'll yeah. just glue on a mustache. Um. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing that image in my head. <laughs> and it's kind of like I, I've obviously I've only seen the first saw, but from my understanding, the throughout the series, the sort of flashbacks and the twists sort of be, end up becoming a big staple of this franchise. Yeah, but it's here's like, the, the, the flashbacks. Like Shyamalan, like they're, they're on the level of Shyamalan with how famous, pretty much famously stupid some of these twists are. Yeah, and oh boy, does this film. Here's the thing. We're obviously not going to go into spoilers here. I mean, we could, but I don't really want to issue a warning. But here's the thing. The twist, there is a twist ending in this film because it's a sore film. Just get over it. What, how how this film, initially, it's a good twist. I think it's a legitimately good twist. Then they over-explain it and just keep going into it. And then they, it's a good twist that they then execute in the dumbest and worst way possible. It's really not good it's yes. really bad and then that saw music kicks in which oh, in that was kind of cool though <laughs> it, it is kind of cool but in this film the mixing of that particular track is off oh so yeah much. it's really it sounds off. so tinny like in yep. my screening i legit thought someone's ringtone just went off like uh, a very I... a very amazingly well-timed ringtone just went off yeah. it sounded like someone's phone in the cinema but it wasn't it was actually <laughs> yep it was it was the same in my cinema as well um and i saw this in a dolby atmos cinema um i think i did too yeah it, yeah it kicked in and i just kind of giggled i was like this this song's cool every time i hear it but this is so funny yeah, to, to, quote, to quote friend of the show and future guest riley danson uh yeah it's one of the funniest pieces of music ever written <laughs> yeah it really is um, but yeah, I did, I did not like this movie. I mean, I do think so, there is some merit to some of the traps. Like there is, like there is a there couple is. of, there, is, there was quite a few winces and, uh, you know, like gasps on not only my part, but also like, you know, the audience that yeah. I saw it with as well. Like the finger trap one, that was, yeah, that was genuinely, pretty, that was pretty bad. But then they, they uh, do that in overkill where it's like, he's getting yeah. electrocuted in the bathtub yeah. as well. If it's kind of dumb. There's also the one with the hot wax, which is really, you know, that was pretty uh, yeah. damn horrifying. My, my thing with this movie, I'm about, I'm, I'm going to go off what I was just about to say, <laughs> but um, do it. This, this movie like barely pushes its R rating. 
in my opinion. Like, yeah. it almost got, um, it, it almost didn't get classified here and then it gets an R18 and then I go in there and it was yeah. nowhere near as, as mm. full on and, and gory yeah. as I was expecting. Yeah, especially um, during the, uh, the press showing that I went to and like, you know, the Studio Canal publicity person came out and did like a little speech about the film beforehand yep. and basically said we were all brave for, you know, <laughs> making the trip to go out to see it and like she was like surprised by how many people were in the screening because it's like you know like you're brave to be coming along to this so they were building it up to be a lot more like sort of yeah. gruesome than it actually was and like i don't think i do think a lot of the gore is effective and you know it's the yeah whole, it's the main event of these films but like you know, oh, yeah. i do kind of feel like it was a bit tame in that way yep. a little bit like definitely compared to some of the other films that mm. like you know like i've seen compilations of the yeah me too. And shit like that so yeah. And I don't know if that's because we've, I I haven't read anything, and I I don't yeah. think we got a censored version, but yeah. I don't know. I, I don't but, think um, so. My other thing with this movie is it really it does not need to be a saw movie at no, all. It, it feels like it feels like like kind of like what they were doing in the action in like eighty action movies in the eighties where they were diehard sequels that just got repurposed into other films. It, yeah. It kind of feels like that. But, yeah. you know, like, there was this, just this cop movie, and then they just sort of retrofitted a Saw film a onto Saw it. A Saw film into it. Yeah. And because yeah. there isn't really, other than, like, just in-name mentions, there is no, like, you know, links to Jigsaw, really. It's oh. just a Jigsaw copycat feel. Like, I was honestly expecting Tobin Bell to show up in the film, in, like, a yeah. flashback, but he doesn't. <laughs> no. I know. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I mean, like... There was there was nearly no ties to Saw at all, um, apart from you getting traps and you getting references yeah. to Jigsaw every ten yeah. minutes. But I do like in this in this film, like they kind of make it really ambiguous. Like it's like Metropolitan Police Department. Like the, <laughs> yeah. city, the city has never given a name; it's just no. generic city. And yeah. but that, there's all this talk about like this sort of Batman sort of like you know dialogue about like we must protect this city and like all this thing like we you know like you know protect this this great city and all the people within it. It's like we literally know nothing about this. Yep. It may as well be a Sim City to be honest. Yeah, pretty oh, much. A, a Sim game with a saw mod. I would play that. There you or, go. Or is that just That's or is, something? Or is that just literally when you're playing Sims and you just build a house and with no windows and doors? Do, yeah, or you, yeah, you, you build a house you with put no someone in a pool. <laughs> put someone in a pool and then take out the stepladder to get out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what, what was their crime? I don't know. Well, how, how come they may have to be taught a lesson? I wonder. That's a good question. That's that's the other thing about these movies. Yeah. Like, um, no, no Billy, no Billy puppet in this one either. No, we get a like get the pig mask, pig but that's about it. Puppet pig, yeah, we get the pig mask and some pig like puppet, but yeah, no, no Billy. Um, but yeah, something about these movies from from what I've read about the all the sequels and stuff, like you go back to the first one and look at the reasons behind why these two people were trapped in this game and 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 mm. like made to do all these things. And then you see what's happened, like what people have done in the later films yeah. and in this film. They get and it's like, dumber and more dubious. Yeah. Like, I think in one of the films, like, literally one of them's a smoker, and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> why? Um, yeah. And the other thing is, like, in, in that first Saw movie, it was actually a game, and it had, like, 
escape room elements to it and they had to mm. solve different things and had clues and in this it's just like you're trapped in a finger trap because you typed yeah you typed up the report to yeah. a report <laughs> you're like, be- being very literal there yeah copycat <laughs> um yeah but well, um, funnily yeah. you say saw escape room because just down the road from where i live uh there is a saw themed escape room oh there you go which i have not been to yet and it's probably really more entertaining than this it. movie. Uh, I doubt that. At least this is a very <laughs> cool. This is a very cool ninety-three minutes, and it moves pretty quickly. Yeah, I will say, like I, I jokingly said that I was falling asleep, but at no point does it feel long or anything. I was never bored. I was no. never bored. It's just I was just more so rolling my eyes and and laughing. Yeah. At... it is eye-rolling insanity. This film. Yeah, and I mean. I enjoy it's bad, but I enjoyed it, and I don't know. I might see it again somewhere down the line and just have a big laugh again because it's so silly. Uh, I mean, maybe when it comes out on home media, but I'm not going back to the cinemas to see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. So that's Spiral from the Book of Saw. I wonder if we're going to get any other things from the Book of Saw or if this you is know just what? like a one off. I, well, I was going to say maybe because my screening was packed, I know that much. Well, I went but, to the media screening, so mine was packed. So, but when we were looking at the box office, yeah, this weekend film, it was it it really opened low. In third. It opened behind Wrath of Man in its what third or fourth week? Fourth week, I think. And some, one of the other, and those who wish me dead made more in its opening weekend than yeah, than it. yeah. Well, maybe Joel Lee, I guess, has box still has box office power. Yeah. I don't know. She can still draw a crowd, I guess. And yep. Chris Chris Rock on Saw, maybe not as much anymore. Yeah. I guess also as well, like, there was a lot of discussion, like, you know, because this was meant to come out around this time last year, but obviously didn't because of COVID. And I'm surprised we haven't really mentioned this as well. There was a lot of talk and discussion about, oh, why don't they just release Spiral on digital? Um, Very early on from this film, especially, like, how the police are sort of centered around this and, like, how it's sort of, like, <laughs> around, like, cops getting their due for, like, negligence and, like, yep. all of this other stuff and framing people. It's like, yep. yeah, not the time to be releasing no, this film. Definitely not. Definitely not the time. Um, I just Googled it and the budget for this film was $40 million. 40? Really? Estimated $40 million. Wow. I think yeah. that's... I definitely wouldn't have picked that. I thought I maybe would have thought like thirty tops. Yeah, that's more because than I, think I was expecting. It, I think even the other saw films, like I think the max budget on those other saw films is like twenty million. Because those that it, it, they just churned. They were just like licenses to print money. Those saw films for a while. Yeah, like there was much. like one every year. They always came out at Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. yeah, yeah. Well, even, yeah, even, see, even Jigsaw, the last one that came out was 10 million. million. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Crazy. Definitely wouldn't have guessed that. But yeah, that's Spiral, the downward spiral that is Spiral, and the downward Mm -hmm. spiral that is the Saw franchise, as it seems. Yeah. Go (laughs) watch the first one instead. Yeah. um, I, I, well, I'm actually interested to maybe go back and check out all of the other ones. I probably Um, will now, to be honest, watch all of them. I'm I'm kind of, I can kind of see the maybe potential in entertainment value. Maybe I'll do it over Halloween because I want to do like a couple of big franchise watches. Like I want to watch all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies as well. This uh, Halloween, yeah. so that'll be fun. Yeah, that could but, be fun. 
But the last film, changing tack very, very rapidly to the last film we have to talk about here. Uh, this film is coming out next week on April 20... No, not April, sorry. God, we're in May. How, how the hell? We're nearly in June. The, the year is almost half over. This is insane. So apologies for not knowing what the bloody month is. But yeah, so on May 27th, we're going to get the documentary called My Name is Gulpalil. Which, as the uh, as the poster and one of the first lines of the film says, uh, David Gulpilu, you know, legendary Australian screen actor, has been working in the film industry for you know literally fifty years now. You know, first came onto the first came like first big screen appearance in Walkabout. Has been in you know so many Australian and international projects. He's basically been, I guess, for a lot of people, like especially international audiences, like they're kind of first and maybe even only exposure to, you know, the indigenous Australian population and culture. Like, you know, like films like his appearance in like, you know, like Crocodile Dundee. Like yeah. that might be, you know, a lot of Americans particularly, that might be like their only, you know, knowledge of like indigenous Australians. But yeah, so as as he says in the first line of this film, uh, this is his story of his story. So it's him telling his own basically his own life story essentially and i have to go through my notes because i did see this quite a while back so i'm gonna have to refer to my notes in terms of these this one yeah so it's his story of his story as he says you know it's kind of you know a, a, it's in in a lot of ways it's sort of a walk down memory lane but it's interesting how the director molly reynolds like not only does you know ha has, does she have incredible sort of love and you know compassion for like you know the subject of her film it's also interesting how she tells the film and like, you know, conveys sort of like his life, not only through like the interviews of him in present day when like, you know, he finds out that he's been diagnosed with lung cancer and only gets six months to live. Uh, that was back in 2017. Yeah. So, you know, four, almost four years later, he's still, you know, he's not in great shape now, but you know, he's still, he's still kicking. He's still kicking David. So yeah. Good on him. But yeah, so, but it's interesting how it mix, how this documentary mixes and sort of tells this story or like anecdotally will use, you know, footage from present day, but then also like, you know, from interview footage from like even as far back as, you know, like the early 70s and even to like, you know, showing clips from like his one man show that he did in like 2004 and like, you know, all of these really, really interesting things about his life. And there's, 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 this film has a lot of ground to cover in like 90 odd minutes and it does it pretty well. I find, you know, because David, he's just such a, he's such a compelling subject and, you know, he has some really, really great insights and, you know, really great stories to tell. Like he was talking about being on the set of Mad Dog Morgan. And I think a lot of the film fans will really love this talking about Mad Dog Morgan and basically just being on set with Dennis Hopper and basically just saying how much of a nutcase Dennis Hopper was. <laughs> And basically saying, like, yeah, we just got in, you know, the entire time we were shooting Mad Dog Morgan. Like, I think Dennis Hopper was here for 24 days for, to shoot that film. I think we ended up in jail 10 of those, like, 10 of those 24 days we ended up in jail. We, we spent the night in jail because we just went out and just did the dumbest, you know, craziest stuff possible. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, as he's basically, there's one point in the film where he basically says, you know, I live in two worlds. So he's basically, for a lot of people, yeah, he's their, their first, as I said, the first exposure or really only exposure or sort of image of what, you know, Indigenous Australians are, specifically yeah. inter, in international sort of thing. And he's sort of been the bridge between those two worlds. And like his whole sort of, um, 
his whole sort of like uh i guess attitude towards acting and like you can also see this at the new um acme the new screen worlds exhibit they have at acme because there's a little station where there's like you get to listen to interviews with like you know luminary australian filmmakers you know there's like the likes of like tony ayres there's a uh, warwick thornton there there's eric banner there's yeah. uh like george miller and there's also david Goldpilil, like among a host of other people like rachel perkins is there too like you know like jill bilcock you know heaps heaps like legends legends of the industry yeah. there and then yeah there's david basically there and he he basically just says it's like it's all natural like i'm just looking up for my notes here and it's like he basically just says i just jump in front of the ca- i just jump in and the camera sees me so it's basically like you know like he's it's sort of like this thing with naturalism that he has yeah. that he like really brings to a lot of his roles and yeah there's and even even when he gets into his personal it is it, it only problem is when it says it's his story of his story that means a lot of stuff does very conveniently get glossed over like for example and i mean you know it, it's just part, part of public record like um when he talks about you know like he had problems with alcohol and like uh, how he went to jail for a year because he assaulted his wife like you know yeah. th- th- like he basically just says yeah i feel bad for that and i'm remorseful but then the film just kind of moves on yeah so i get it it's his story of his story but like the documentary could have been like let's hold, hold on let's just focus on that a little bit more because you know i mean it's obviously a film that's trying to sell i get it the film's trying to celebrate him and it doesn't really want to dwell on that stuff sort of too much but it is still a bit strange that they just kind of gloss over it very very quickly but you know that's very small like minor gripe as to what is a pretty you know pretty great and pretty eye-opening documentary and um i believe just before its initial release on uh the 27th i believe in most cinemas on uh, not most cinemas but there's a select uh couple of cinemas that on the 26th there is going to be like this sort of big live q a event that's going to be happening after the film um and i believe that it's got a really great panel that's going to be doing it i believe margaret pomeranz is going to be moderating it um stephen page from the bangara dance group which if you saw their documentary of bangara recently firestarter yeah. which is another great documentary great uh screen legend jack thompson is also going to be on that panel and wow. uh with with Iana marie Mar- with Yana Marika, who's like, you know, the founding member of Yotu Yindi and, you know, was recently seen in the film High Ground. So, you know, that's going to be happening in most sort of cinemas, you know, around around the country um, just before this film's released. Obviously, the cinemas that are going to be playing it. So, you know, head online and look for that if you're interested. But yeah, My Name is Gulpalil, you know, a fascinating documentary about a fascinating man. Uh, go see it when it's in cinemas on may 27th or if it's not into playing in a cinema near you uh this film was largely financed by the abc so i can probably almost guarantee that this will probably be on abc uh will be broadcast on abc and will probably be put on iview like sometime in the next six to twelve months or so so yeah, yeah. my name is Gulpalil. yeah i'm definitely gonna check that out okay so just well, that pretty much finishes us up but uh just before we head off blake do you have any other uh films that you have seen recently or any other just things that you've seen that you'd want to mention um not really i haven't been watching too much recently lots of um lots of crap really nothing overly exciting i think the last sort of great movie that i saw was um the mitchells versus the machines on netflix which i really liked um so yeah shout out to that if you haven't seen it. it but I'm sure most people have seen that by now. I've enjoyed it. Um, and the, the only thing, the main contribution to that movie has made to my life so far is that uh, Live Your Life by T.I. and Rihanna has been, you know, added yep. to my, you know, regular rotation on my Spotify yeah. thing. Me too. 
you know, it, it just it puts me right back into two thousand and eight, like back oh, yeah. right back to my ten year old self, pretty much. Yeah, just before Saw Seven's coming out or whatever, yeah, whatever. whatever Saw was coming out in that year. I believe that would have been five, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, or around I think you're you know, right. like I'm still reeling from the Dark Knight. You know, it's one of yep. the coolest movies I've ever seen. You know, yeah, so awesome. Good still times. reeling from Iron Man as well. Like you know, mm-hmm. what what a great time to be alive. What a great time to be a ten year old. Yeah, I was I was probably sad. Well, no, no. I would what I would have been because it, I think that song was released in like November of two thousand and eight. So I would have still been bitter that Geelong lost the 08 grand final. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Apart from that, I don't really have anything else I wanted to shout out. Um, I've just been watching. Yeah. Been I mean, watching all the Conjuring movies in the lead up to the new one. The new one, which um, unfo- which you did get the press invite to, but now you're shattered that you can't make that screening. I know I can't make the screening. It's oh, no. unfortunate. Um, well, I already RSVP'd no to it because I thought you were going to go. <laughs> so I know I thought I was going to go too, but then when it came through on on a Monday <laughs> night at six o'clock or whatever it is, I I'm, I'll be at work, so. Uh, it's a shame. It, yeah, it, does, it doesn't look great though. I, I saw that before my screening of Those Who Wish Me Dead, I got the trailer to that and it does. The trailer look looks pretty bad. I'm pretty not going to lie. I, um, I am a bit of a fan of the Conjuring universe. I, I'm a bit biased. Like even The Nun, I find ridiculously entertaining um, for as bad as that movie is. Um, so I mean I'm looking forward to it, but is is the curse of La Llorona in yes. connected to that in any way? Because you know La Llorona yes. is like an actual sort of like folklore sort of thing. Yeah, they um, I, I don't know. It really feels like they they tied that to the Conjuring universe late in the game because it, I think it mentions the Annabelle doll like once, and that's it right. for the entirety oh, okay. of the movie. <laughs> And they're oh, like, sorry. bam, um, Conjuring Universe. We, we, we should say, uh, I think that was called Curse of the Weeping Woman Women, Curse of the Weeping Woman here in Australia. That's right, because it did get a Australi- Australians are too dumb to have Spanish, you know, Spanish yep. names. Can't pronounce La Llorona or whatever, yeah. you know, however you say it. But, um... But I can't, so that's yeah. why it was translated, that's why it was called Curse <laughs> of the Weeping Woman. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much been me recently. Yep. You're doing podcasts. You're talking about movies. It's yep. good times. You're, you're being overworked. Wouldn't say overworked, but I am working a lot. Um, lots of overtime, but I mean, I get paid for it, so that's nice. <laughs> well, I think that'll just about do us. Thank you very much for Blake for on short notice. Um, Eric was meant to do this episode, you know, a couple of weeks back, but when I did this, but then Blake came in. You know, friend of the show. He's you know always you know one of our most loyal listeners and also loyal guests now so yeah. how about that so always a pleasure to have him on and where can people find you and your musings on the world of film where can people go uh yeah so most of my stuff's just on twitter at blake underscore ison i-s-o-n um and then i am all my all my movie reviews and stuff go on to letterboxd as well which is the same the same handle um, and then some of my other reviews go to moviebabble.com as well. As do mine, where you can read my review, which in hindsight was probably a little bit, you know, I went a little bit too easy on my written review of Those Who Wish Me Dead. But if you want to read some more thoughts, um, more, less rambly and a slightly more coherent thoughts on that, <laughs> you can go to moviebabble.com. 
Still also in the works is my anniversary piece, which will now clo be closer to the 20 year and one month anniversary of Tom Green's masterwork that is Freddy Got Fingered. That, <laughs> which, <laughs> I mean, there's already the podcast that Eric and I did about that film, so you can go listen to that. But whenever I finally, you know, decide to kick it into high gear and finish that piece, that will be up over at moviebabble.com. As for the rest of our plugs, uh, we have actually switched um, uh, announcement here. We have actually switched our podcast providers. So we are no longer on SoundCloud. I am no longer paying hundreds of dollars a year for hosting. I have moved to Anchor, so which is completely cool. free. Something which I wish I had learned about you know, when <laughs> I started this podcast. But you know what? It's fine now. We are now on Anchor. So if you use that for your podcast listening, find us on Anchor or we're still available at all the other regular places, whether it's SoundCloud, whether it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. Basically, wherever you get your podcast, just make sure you head, you search for another bloody movie podcast and you hit that lovely little subscribe button. And all, as our socials, they're very inactive. We don't do anything on them. But you know what? I still get people to go to them because you know what? If people start going to them, I'm going to start doing stuff. So... On Twitter, we are at AB Movie Podcast. We are also at Another Bloody Movie Pod, both on Facebook and on Instagram. We are also on Twitter. I am. God, I can't even make my stupid plugs. My God. I am also on Twitter and Instagram, both at SeanHub underscore. A pun that only works if you have an Australian and or British accent. That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore, both on Instagram and Twitter. And just a quick little announcement for... Sorry. And I'm also on Letterboxd. That is at Sean Coates. That is no spaces and no capitals. So letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates. You'll also find me as the backwards man on Letterboxd. I am the backwards <laughs> man that is actually literally written backwards. So thank you, whichever uh, certain, whatever text reverser I use to get that effect because it's now, <laughs> it is now iconic. It but is. I am here to make a very quick announcement about what is going to happen to this podcast. So starting... Well, I'm recording the first episode tomorrow, but we are starting a brand new series here on ABMP or the ABMP network, even though we're literally one podcast, but we're a network. We, 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 we get around. <laughs> so what is happening? We are beginning what I am tentatively calling, and I think I've pretty much settled on the name. So we are doing a new series here on another Buddy Movie podcast called Podcast at Hanging Rock. And it's not exclusively about the films of Peter Weir or about, you know, about, you know, Picnic and Hanging Rock in general. It is an Australian cinema series here on the podcast. We're going to look, we're going to try and cover as many Australian films as we possibly can, whether they're new or old, obscure or mainstream, you know, may, you know, like just bland and boring or just out there and incredibly bizarre. We're going to cover as much as we can. Ideally, I'd like to do this every couple of weeks, like every two to three weeks, but I'm recording the first episode tomorrow. We are doing it on Wake in Fright, uh, the cool. masterpiece that recently... Sell I wanted to get it out and have Still it recorded for its, it. for its 50th episode, but... Uh, couldn't quite get the timing right on that, but it's still going to be released during its 50th anniversary month. So we'll get to that. And friend of the show, Liam Norville, will be joining me for that episode, who is literally a massive fan of that film, who has even worked the, the title of the film into the pun, into a pun that is his Twitter handle. So that is how yeah. much he loves that film. Hmm. 
it's it's a great film. Liam's a great. It will be a great guest for that. And I've got some really cool guests lined up that have committed to doing episodes and have selected some really cool things. Blake is one of them, but he has not picked the yes. film yet. So yeah. he needs to get onto that because some big ones are going off the board. So hurry the hell up, Blake. I will. I will. Um, but yes, looking forward to it. It's gonna be. It's gonna be good fun. It will be good fun. So make sure you stay tuned for that, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss whenever that will be. Whenever that will be dropped. Hopefully, that will be dropped sometime next week. I will let you know. I'll drop. I'll finally use our socials and let everyone know <laughs> when that is going to happen. But until then, thank you again for listening, and thank you to Blake for joining us. Thanks for having me. No worries. And until next time, until the first episode of podcast at Hanging Rock, we will see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.